0: So right about now is a good time to discuss the organization, the structure, the platform of organized cybercrime and and why organized cybercrime is so successful to commit and such a difficult thing for law enforcement to stop. Now, if I were in front of you, if I were on TV or a webinar or giving a presentation or something like that, I could bring up this nice graphic of this thing I call the cybercrime triangle that breaks everything down into nice little pictures and everything like that. But I'm not! We're talking on a podcast, so you just have to listen to my very pleasant voice as I walk you through it. So it begins with the person, that criminal. That criminal, for someone to engage in cybercrime, three things have to be present inside of that person. That person, that criminal has to have the willingness, the ego, and the knowledge. Now what do I mean by that? Let's start with the willingness and we'll use an example. So we take a criminal. What is that criminal willing to do? That's the question because sometimes, and here's the thing, not all criminals are sociopaths. I know there's this perception out there that says, Oh, you know, they're all sociopaths. They're all, they don't have any empathy at all. They don't care about anything but themselves. You know, truthfully, that, that's just not the case. There's very few real sociopaths in this world. Most people are not like that. Most people have to justify whatever type of crime they're committing. Take myself, for example. When I was committing crime, it was all about how did I justify that? And I used a, a, <laughs> just a, a ton, a legion. Of different excuses. I said I committed crime to support my family, to support my sister, my wife, my stripper girlfriend. Those were the excuses I used over and over and over again. And It took me several years to get to the point where I realized that those justifications were just that. They were just false justifications that I used so that I wouldn't have to look at myself in the mirror and consider myself as being a bad person. I had to justify it. I had to make myself out to be this good person. So, what is the criminal willing to do? Is that criminal maybe he or she may be willing to steal the identity of some millennial or some middle aged person out there and use it to commit credit card fraud or account takeovers or any number of things like that? But is that same criminal willing to divert the Social Security benefits of a senior aged citizen? Maybe not. Maybe that moral compass inside of that person is pointing north at that point and they're saying, you know, this person is only making $800 a month. That's the only money they've got in and I'm just not going to wreck their entire life for $800. So what is that criminal willing to do? The next thing is the ego. And here's the thing, ego is a necessity to being a criminal, especially a cyber criminal. You have to have a huge ego. You have to believe that it's kind of like this David versus Goliath mentality. That you are the small guy and this one single person can defeat a billion dollar company or a billion dollar security company. Do you have the ego to believe that and to commit the crime? And finally, all that is meaningless if you don't have the knowledge to commit that specific type of crime. And here is where the three necessities of cybercrime come in. Those three necessities. What is absolutely necessary to engage in cybercrime? Well, those are three things. It's gathering the data, committing the crime, and cashing out. All three things have to work in conjunction. If they don't, the crime fails and you're useless. Why even bother? The problem is is that a specific criminal is not good in all three things. A criminal is good in one thing. Sometimes he's good in two. Very rarely can he do all three things. And that... That is what makes up that triangle, gathering data, committing crime, cashing out. The criminal operates within that triangle. Now what makes that triangle possible is the overall world of cybercrime, the forums, the marketplaces, both on the dark web and the surface web, and the dark web and surface web groups. That is the way organized cybercrime operates. Now before Shadow Crew, before Counterfeit Library, and before Carter Planet, That type of structure did not exist in order to engage in any type of cybercrime. The only real avenue you had was an IRC chat session, Internet Relay Chat. And it was useless. It was this rolling chat board. You had no idea who you were talking to, who you could trust, who you could not. Shadow Crew, Counterfeit Library, and Carter Planet solved that problem. It gave a trust mechanism that criminals could now use. Now you have that large communication channel, that forum type structure where someone can reference a conversation potentially years old. Someone in different time zones can communicate in the same conversation without having to be present at the time the conversation is going on. You know simply by looking at someone's screen name what that person's skill level is, if you can trust them, if you can network with them, if they have a product, if the product is any good, if you can buy it, how to buy it. That is what Shadow Crew, Counterfeit Library, and finally, Carter Planet, saw. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast, where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. Now, what does it take to get a title like that? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. If you look at cybercrime there were three main sites that kind of changed everything before counterfeit library shadow crew and and carter planet the only avenue you had to commit cybercrime or organized cybercrime was an IRC chat session this internet relay chat so it was a rolling message board you had no idea who you were really talking to uh, what the skill level was of the person If, if someone claimed they had PII or credit card information or drugs or whatever you really didn't know if they had it You know, PII is personal personal identifying information. Identifying information. So, social security numbers, dates of birth, anything that identifies a specific person. So, you didn't really know if they had those things for sale, or even if they had them for sale. If you gave them money, if they would even deliver it to you. So, you didn't know anything like that. And so, counterfeit library, which turned later into Shadow Crew, and then Dmitry Golobov over in the Ukraine invented or came up with Carter Planet, those three sites kinda changed the entire game of cybercrime into what we know it today. And when I'm usually on stage, where I'm talking to people, I don't have a lot of time to go into exactly the the process that established what I call that trust mechanism that cybercriminals now use today. And that trust mechanism being that large communication channel, basically a forum-type structure that allows people to come in and engage in conversations that are potentially years old or reference those conversations or right. take part in the conversation in different time zones or anything else like that. I mean, you go to these these forums now, you know just by looking at someone's screen name what their skill level is, if you can trust them, if you can network with them. You've got reviews of all the sellers, but not only the sellers, but you've sometimes got reviews of the users. You know, this guy helped me out. This guy knows what he's talking about. So that, that type of structure like that, that platform, Gives enough trust for criminals to use that they can facilitate facilitates crime. It makes it easier, makes it more profitable. It's an information sharing network all across the board. And you know, now that I'm on the good side of things, what's kind of interesting, and it's been, I, I guess it's occurred to me in the past, but it's really in the forefront of my mind these days, is that trust is the same for a criminal as it is for a legitimate customer when you're online. If you run a website and you're wanting a a customer to buy from your website, how do you go about convincing that customer that they can trust that you're going to deliver the product, that the product's good, that you're not going to rip them off, that it is what you say it is? You know, it's the same problem we had when we were criminals. How do you develop that trust? Right. So when I was when I'm on stage talking, I don't have a lot of time to go into that. So I basically say, oh, it was filled of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Now, that's true. That is true. If you build something like that, they will come. But it doesn't happen overnight. So with us, you know, we had the Counterfeit Library Forum. There was initially me. There was Mr. X out of Los Angeles. There was Beelzebub out of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Those were the three main people. So, Mr. X was selling social security cards. Beelzebub was selling IDs. I was reviewing everything. So how do you get to the point where you start actually trusting people, you know, for a new member coming in? And what we did or what I started to do was I would just start posting about how I was ripping people off on eBay. Ah. That was it. I would actually walk through exactly the process of how I would do that. So people would come, they'd, they'd listen to me, or they'd read those those posts that I was putting up, they'd ask questions, and I would walk them through it. It became this, the first part of it was kind of this teaching type forum. You know, you teach people how to do that. And by doing that, you know, you start, gauge, you start building that trust up. And I want to be honest with you, you know, the crimes I was committing, I was still not what you would call an experienced or an upper tier cyber criminal. But you've
1: got you've got the average goober who says, I need money. Somebody has got to know how to how to make money illegally, so right. uh, and and maybe I can find it online.
0: Yeah, so you start looking around and, and again, the only real avenue that was out there before Counterfeit Library was the IRC chat session. And that was really it was just a bullshit channel or a group of channels that no real business took place so we could go over there and start talking about counterfeit library people would come over and visit counterfeit library they would see that forum they would understand hey this is a conversation that doesn't disappear as soon as i disconnect this conversation's here potentially forever for as long as the website's alive so they would start coming back to that and you know the I'm, <laughs> the types of crimes i was committing now it took it took years for me to get to the point where i was stealing that one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a week years to do that the first crimes that I was committing were in my name I was on eBay cuz eBay was the platform to steal money most most of the time so you know it was initially the uh, the hacked or the programmed satellite DSS cards that I started ripping people off from there it started uh, you know the fake items I would say that I had cameras and not have cameras or Christmas time I would say I had Furbies and not have Furbies. whatever I could find to sell that was the hot item is what I would do. And back then, eBay had this list of the top 100 hot items. Right. <laughs> so I remember that. So I would just go through that list. You know, when I was getting ready to post these fake ads on eBay, I would go through the list and see what the hot cameras were or the hot electronics, the hot toys, and I would post mine at 80% of whatever the retail price was. And that, here's the deal. The thing about that was, you know, okay, I could post it at 50% off, But is that a believable number? I knew immediately that you can't get up there and say, oh, you know, I've got that Nikon D1 at 50% of retail. You can't do that. You have to come up with a believable number that is still a good bargain so that people will fall for that. Uh, Back then, eBay, it was easy enough to do. eBay listed the actual uh, email addresses of all the bidders. So what I would do is I would post the auction at a $0 reserve, start at $1, three-day auction. Whoever won it would win it and that would be it and so and then i would email the top 10 bidders on that same item saying hey I've, I've got extras of these at the same price if you guys wanted that so usually what i would end up doing is stealing i would steal about twelve thousand dollars a month on each ebay account that i had but it took a lot of work to do that i had had to have uh, drop addresses to receive the checks everything else because again i think we spoke about that offline but the the necessities of cybercrime were apparent even then. You had to gather the data, which was, you know, you had to post those ads, figure out who your targets were. You had to commit the crime, which then it was talking people into sending checks out or paying by PayPal, something like that. Then finally, you had to cash things out. So, again, I was very unexperienced with things. With me, it was cashing out meant that I had to use my name unless I had a fake driver's license in that. Now, I had the Steven Schwecke driver's license, but by this point in time, I had used the hell out of that. I had opened up bank accounts. I had hit all the check cash in places within a three to five state area. So it was kind of mined out, and it was difficult to keep coming up with driver's licenses. You know, you had to constantly be trying to order driver's licenses. Then when you start, when NetBank comes up, then you have to start opening up bank accounts. When we'll you open up a bank account, you have to have a drop address.
1: <laughs> okay, so uh, Stephen Schwecke, uh, Yeah, now, was that a real person?
0: That was a real person. That is Brett Johnson's first, you know, no, it is not Brett Johnson's first identity theft victim. It is Brett Johnson's second identity theft victim. Brett Johnson's first identity theft victim was when I was 19, and I was, again, I mean, and it's not that I'm trying to hide it, it's just there's so much shit in my life that sometimes I forget and then I have to mention it later on. I was I had graduated high school in 1989, and one of my high school classmates, I knew his name and I knew his date of birth. I didn't know his social security number. So I got it in my head, I was like, uh, I wanted this uh, this Sega Genesis console, and I didn't have enough money to buy it. And I was like, there were these places, I was in Hazard, Kentucky, there were these places in Lexington, Kentucky, that would rent them out to you, you know, for thirty, fifty dollars. And I was right. like, well, I'd like to rent one, but keep it. So how do I go about doing that? Well, what I figured was, is you know what I'll do is I'll just get a driver's license in Greg's name. Now I won't say Greg's last name because he probably wouldn't like that, but uh, this guy's name was Greg. So I, I, I went to, I'd been going to the DMV. I'd lost my driver's license a couple of times, my real one, and I'd went to the DMV in hazard, and I'd seen that in order for them to issue a new driver's license, it was actually pretty simple. I mean, they had, nothing was computerized at that point. They had right. these big file boxes of, <laughs> of, of snapshots of who was connected to the driver's license. And I was like, you know, it probably wouldn't be that hard unless he's got a replacement driver's license. They don't even know, have his picture on file. So what I did was, is I was like, let's chance it. So I picked up, I went to pay phone, called Greg, acted like I was the Social Security Administration, told him something, I forgot what the bullshit line was, someone was using a Social Security number, we needed to verify it for payment, whatever the line was, he fell for that, he gave me a Social Security number. From there, I went down to the Board of Education, walked in, gave him the social, gave him the date of birth, they gave me the school records for this guy named Greg. So I used the school records went up to the Social Security Administration, walked in, told them I was this guy. They gave me a piece of paper that was a verification of what my Social Security number was. From there, I went down to the DMV, walked in and said, hey, my name is Greg, blah, 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 handed them the paper from Social Security, handed them the school records. That was enough that they would, at that point, Give me a replacement driver's license with a picture and everything with my picture on it, his driver's license with my picture on it. Uh-huh. So, once I had that, got the driver's license, first stop, I first thing I did was is I drove from Hazard to Lexington, a two hour drive, walked into this rental place, got a Sega Genesis with like five games, walked out and knew I was keeping that son of a bitch. <laughs> but I didn't stop there as soon as I got that. I'm like, you know, this is a moneymaker. I can make some money on this. So the next day, I drove back home that night. The next day, I drove from Hazard to Whitesburg, 30 miles away, walked into a bank, opened up a bank account under Greg's name, got the checkbook, then I went to all the Walmarts, started writing fake checks, bad checks on everything. Everything that I could. You know, three to five, I think it was like $300 a pop is what I did. And I don't think that this is a sophisticated, smart crime at all. It's not. It's not. Because it turns out, when I got that replacement driver's license, they did take my picture, and they put my picture on file with his portfolio, his his file there. So, of course, what happens is, is three months later, all these bad checks are out there under Greg's name. The cops show up at Greg's door and ask him, what the hell? Well, he tells them he doesn't know. They, I think they ended up arresting him. But... Of course, it's not the picture that it's supposed to be. Well, he looks at the picture, and he's like, hey, that son of a bitch is Brett Johnson. That's not me. That's Brett Johnson. So, of course, they get a warrant on me, come and arrest me, and here's the thing that that I find out over and over and over again. There are several moments that I was identified by law enforcement during my criminal career, but the crimes were so small that they never did anything about them. Cases that was dismissed, I paid my way out, probation, any number of things like that. This right here, this was probation, that was it. I hired an attorney for 500, my mom went around and she had stolen enough money to pay off the bad checks. She goes around pays off the bad checks, so none of that's ever, I was never charged with any of that stuff and I get probation for like six months. But it's still
1: on your permanent record.
0: Still on permanent record, but I didn't care by that point. You know I don't don't care about that at all, but that was the first identity theft victim that I had was Greg, and I was uh, I was nineteen, nineteen at that point. The next identity that I stole was uh, twenty seven, with this guy Stephen Schwecki, was it? So I mean there was a history of that. So I, I had some experience. Yeah. You know, um, and and you know going back to Stevie, uh
1: stealing uh, Greg what's-his-name's uh, identity, you started with a simple phone call pretending you're with the Social Security Administration. You know, educate, <laughs> educate your kids, okay? Yeah. Educate your children to expect somebody is going to target them.
0: Absolutely. And that's the thing, right? I mean, even today, even today, that, that simple phone call is all you need to get someone's information nowadays you have to spoof the call so that at least on their caller id it shows up that it's from a sheriff's office or social security administration or what have you but just that 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 showing on the caller id that it's the social security administration calling you is typically enough to convince someone to give up all the information that you need to steal their identity and you know i did that when i was 19 that was 1989 i was doing that kind of stuff so yeah Shadow, not Shadow Crew, but Counterfeit Library, the types of crimes I was committing, basically the same. They were A lot of them were under my name simply because I could not open up enough bank accounts or I didn't have the IDs to open up the bank account. Um, the types of crimes I was committing, I would post things on eBay. Back then, you could post things that you were buying stuff as well. So I would post that I was buying uh, video game collections or comic book collections or anything like that. I got uh, one guy to send in. He sent in an SNK Neo Geo system which that system back then was like eight hundred dollars the cartridges that came with it were three hundred dollars a pop he sent me like 10 of these cartridges so a a big big haul all of a sudden for me was what that was so you know probably four or five thousand dollars worth of gaming equipment right there dumbass Brett, i sell it for you know eight hundred dollars because i didn't i didn't have anything invested in it the guy just sent it to me well he had sent it and that was the thing was i was opening up these drop addresses under my name brett johnson so that was, all this stuff was done under, under my name. The comic book collections that were sent in under my name. So I started getting worried, of course. You know, really worried. <laughs> you know, the cops are looking at me. So I start, um, I start moving. We, me and my wife, Susan, at that time, we were renting apartments and trying to go to school. By this point, I pretty much figured, ah, fuck school. But uh, we started bouncing around from apartment to apartment because I was scared of law enforcement showing up. This this sergeant in, in Fayette County in Lexington, his name was Pat Tingle. He was the guy that had knocked on the door when I had sold that beanie baby, you know, that, purple, that blue beanie baby. <laughs> he was the guy that later knocked on the door because I had, I don't know if I told everyone or not, but the next scam of that sort was I was watching Inside Edition again, Bill O'Reilly was on there talking about autographed baseballs. I was sitting there going, autographed baseballs? They were talking about Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. It was that year right that there. That year that they were both uh, Yeah, that year. And them. they were both drugged up. Of course, Mark McGuire would admit it. Sammy Sosa still doesn't admit that. Right, right. But uh, they were selling those balls for, I think, 60 $80 a piece on eBay. I'm like, you know, that's not a bad gig, man. So I'm sitting there, I start doing the research because that's one of the big things all cyber criminals to this day do is research. So I start researching fake autographs. And it turns out there's a whole market of fake autographs out there. So the next day I skip class again, go down to Academy Sports, walk in and ask the lady, hey, where's your baseballs? So she shows me the ba- And I'm like, hey, I'm looking for the baseballs that are actually used in MLB games. So she shows me one. I look at her and I was like, look, I need a case of those. And she's like, a case? I was like, yeah. I need a case of those. So she brings me out the retail case, and she's like, I forgot how much it was, but I bought the thing. Stopped by Kroger on the way home, pick up a Sharpie, and go home and start trying to sign it. Because I'm like, oh, I can sign baseballs all day long. Well, it turns out, you know, baseballs are round. Yeah. Trying to sign a signature on those damn things doesn't really work out too well. So I'm sitting there looking at the signature. I'm like, that doesn't look a damn thing like what I'm seeing online. So I'm, I'm, getting, I'm trying to convince myself this will work. And I'm like, okay, maybe some kid handed them the ball at the game. They're tired. They got the heartbeat up. Maybe it's a shaky signature. But how do I convince people of that? I'm like, I'll create my own certificate of authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I sell the entire case, the entire case on eBay. And not a week later, I get a knock at the door. Susan had no idea. Now, I've been married to Susan by this point at probably three years. Susan had no idea that I was doing shit online, criminal activity. She thought I was just reselling stuff on eBay. That's what I told her. So I get a knock at the door one night, and it's that cop. It's that cop knock, and you know that cop knock, that bam, 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 bam. So I'm like, "What the hell's that?" Open up the door, and there's Pat Tingle again, Sergeant Pat Tingle again.
1: (laughs) The same one. (laughs) Same one. Couldn't you leave the county? Why did you? When you're well, I did later. Yeah, I did later. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: so it's Pat Tingle again. He's got the same damn detective with him. He's like Brett, can we come in? I was like, yeah, man. So he comes in. We, he's like, uh, we'd like to talk to you about some baseballs. I was like, yeah. He's like, uh, Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire. I'm like, yeah. Now Susan, the entire time, doesn't say a word. Not one damn word. She just sits there. She doesn't even look at them. She's looking at me. So like uh, Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire. I'm like, yeah. They're like autographed. I'm like, yeah. And Pat looks at me he's like, uh, Where'd you get them? I was like, I bought them off eBay. He's like, uh, With a certificate of authenticity? I'm like, Yep, bought off eBay every single one of them. He's like, uh, You know, we've got a copy of their real signatures down at the station. I was like, Yeah. He's like, Yeah, that's that doesn't look a thing like their real signatures on those baseballs you've been selling. And I'm like, You know, they come with a certificate of authenticity. He's like, you know, Brett, we think that you signed to those baseballs. And I'm like, no, no, no. He said, we also think you printed off those certificates. And I was like, no, I didn't do that. He looks at me. He's like, well, here's the deal. You're going to send these people their money back or we're going to put you in jail. Do you understand? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So they leave. Susan, by this point, is standing and she's looking dead at me. So I look over at her. I'm like, what? And she's like, and exact words, you son of a bitch. That's why you bought those Goddamn baseballs. <laughs> and I looked at her, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so at that point, she knew I was a criminal and she didn't leave me. I mean, I was, um, my thing was, is I'm, I'm a very big manipulator, right? I am. I was back then. Sure. I'm, and it was, uh, oh, I love you. You know, I, I, I you no, know, I, I, it was a mistake. I won't do it anymore. It's not as serious as you think. That was the line for the next six years right there.
1: But, you did
0: honestly love her. I did. Yeah. I did. Now, I shouldn't have married her. Let's be honest there. Right. I, shouldn't I shouldn't have married her. You shouldn't have married her. You know, I told you about uh, it was a bad choice, basically, marrying a car- carbon copy of my mom, all this other stuff. And it, it was kind of an escape for me to get out of Eastern Kentucky and get away from that, that specter of my mom and that type of life that I was living. But I did love her. I did love her. And uh, But that didn't mean I didn't lie to her. I lied to her constantly, constantly. And she got to the point where she she enjoyed spending the money. She did. She liked the money that was coming in. You know, we didn't have to worry a lot about bills. It was just Brett Johnson having to worry about cops coming to the door. <laughs> you know, we had, I remember this one townhouse that we had, and uh, it was in this, this kind of alcove, you know, end street, whatever you want to call that area. But um, it was a roundabout. And I remember the one day that Susan and I were there, and we usually kept the blinds drawn on the front. You know, you had a little little crack in the blind so you could see if some cars coming through <laughs> Right, and I saw that white and this cop pulls next door and he just sits in the driveway and I was convinced absolutely convinced that they were there for me and that was that was my life you know cops come in the neighborhood cops pull behind you while you're driving down the street If they if they pull behind you on the highway you find the first exit or the first little gas station you can pull into so they get out from under you and that, that was my life for years was like that, <laughs>
1: that that's a a really sad kind of life it's pretty bad it's very you stressful
0: know, you know you uh, you worry about uh, if you get a knock on the front door you don't say anything you walk as quietly as you can to the front door and or to the window and you try to peer outside to see who's there and that was that was my existence for years years because I had been arrested a few times you know I'd been arrested when I did that B&E on uh, the Lexington Diners Club been arrested at that point I'd been arrested when I was doing the the fake charity so I'd been arrested before and and I didn't trust cops I was a criminal I shouldn't be trusting cops you know and and that was my existence was that and the types of crimes that I was committing like I said it was under my name so they knew who they were looking for and it got to the point where I mined out basically all the mailboxes, et cetera, using Brett Johnson in that Lexington and that that area, that you know, that central Kentucky area. Well, they didn't have any of those in eastern Kentucky, so I start migrating down to eastern Kentucky and using opening up mailboxes, actual post office mailboxes. And I started initially with my name doing that. And I was having C O D orders sent in and I was using, you know, bad checks to pay for the cod orders everything else at the same time i'm running these ebay scams initially using my information so uh, yeah they knew who they were looking for but i guess at that point you know they didn't uh, for cybercrime there was really no structure on who's going to charge the guy who's going to investigate it, anything else uh what got me what got me worried more than anything i had opened up a bank account and I had opened up a mailbox in Manchester, Kentucky, and I'd had this guy send in. I'd bought it off of. Uh, yeah, I'd bought his item. Off, he had a uh, stereo system, home theater system, that he had for sale on eBay. So I bid on it and asked him to send it to me COD. It was like fifteen hundred, and he agreed to do that. So I paid for that with bad checks. Walked in, and the checking account, of course, was under my name. So I paid for it with the bad checks and. Uh, got the stereo system or the home theater system took it home hooked it up susan and i were visiting her parents and they were in hazard kentucky we were still living at this point we were living in london kentucky so we were visiting her parents one saturday and here comes the kentucky state police now we were supposed to travel because i had by this point i'm stealing a good amount of money We were supposed to go that same Saturday. I was taking her and her two brothers and her sister. They were all minors. I was going to take everybody up to Kings Island, and we were going to have a weekend up there. So they're gone getting at Walmart, getting things ready and everything. Well, while they're gone, here come the Kentucky State Police. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So they come up to the door. Now, this is her dad's place, her mom and dad's place. They come up to the door and knock on the door. I'm like, fuck, I better answer that. So... (laughs) I walk up, and they're like, are you Brett Johnson? I'm like, yeah, I'm Brett Johnson. They're like, uh, can we can we talk to you? Can we come in? And I was like, no, you can't come in, but I'll step out here so you can talk, because I didn't want her, her parents to know what was going on. Right. Well, of course, her parents walk outside while I'm having this conversation, and I'm like, shit. So they're like, uh, look, um, did you open up a mailbox over in Manchester, Kentucky? And I'm like, nope. They're like, well, we've got a copy of your student student ID that was used to open that. And I'm like, I don't even have a student ID. Well, the student ID was sitting right on, right next to the computer inside of the house. So while I'm talking to one Kentucky State Trooper, the other one goes over and starts talking to Susan's parents. And he's like, "Well, can I look at the computer?" And I'm sitting there going, "Shit, I can't talk to both of them at the same time." So here I am. I'm talking to one Kentucky KSP Trooper. The other KSP Trooper goes in and he sits down at the computer that literally has my wallet with that con- that that student id in it <laughs> so i'm like what's the chance of him actually opening up that wallet I'm, and i'm worried about that so as i'm talking to that one Kentucky state trooper i look at him i'm like look come on inside i got to get something real quick so i walk the other trooper in the the second trooper sitting at the computer kind of surfing through everything i reach i just reach over get my wallet when I, as soon as i pick it up the trooper I've the trooper been talking to says to the other one, hey, that's his wallet right there. And I'm like, yeah, that's my wallet right there. And he's like, can I look at that? And I was like, no, you cannot. <laughs> have you got a warrant? And at that, that, that point, they get pissed. So they're like, uh, is that student ID in the wallet? And I'm like, I don't have a student ID, and you're not going to look at it unless you've got a warrant. Do you understand? So they, they get pissed, and they're like, well, we'll be back with a warrant. And I was like, well, I'll be right here. So they leave, I immediately call Susan, I was like get here now, we're leaving. So Susan comes, we leave, we were living like I said in in London, Kentucky, had a house that we had rented there, had just rented. I get it in my head they're going to have a warrant for me, that they're coming to arrest me. So I'm like, I gotta go. So I drop Susan back off at the house we were renting, and I tell her, I'm like, I'll be back in a few weeks, we'll see what's going on. And of course I leave her, she's crying and everything else. Convinced I'm about to be arrested. I leave, go from uh, Hazard down to Panama City, Florida. And I'm down to Panama, at Panama City probably four or five weeks, scared to death. And I tell Susan the entire time I sent her the money, I was like, look, we have to move out of the house that we're in. Let's move down to Knoxville, move down there. So she actually does that. And I get a, I talk uh, Beelzebub in, during this point into sending me another driver's license. This driver's license was in the name of Eric Reed, E R I C H, Reed that I had gotten from the California Death Index. By that point, I've got access to that. So I just started using those names for driver's licenses. She gets, uh, she rents us an apartment in, in Knoxville, and we live in Knoxville for a while. But uh, during all that point in time, I mean, that, that whole counterfeit library, it was all about uh, those types of penny ante crimes. And the mean, In the meantime, I'm walking people through how to make money on eBay, the same types of crimes I'm doing, and hell, they were eating it up. So that was that was the initial establishing trust on counterfeit library. Who was the what what was the uh, the website that was hosting this forum? The website was counterfeitlibrary.com and okay. that website was basically a site that sold counterfeit degrees. That's the only thing that sold. Okay. So they had a forum attached to it. No one was using the forum. I kind of got to be friends with the people who owned the site. It, it was registered under the uh, the username of Blacks Professional. Well, I got to be friends with those guys. They were in the UK. They were in Hong Kong. Got to be friends with them. They they basically let me run the forum. Basically, whatever you want to do, do it. Just make sure that you keep hawking our counterfeit degrees at the same time. And I did that. So that was the whole trust mechanism that starts to be developed simply because I'm sitting there. No one knew that I was this idiot that was doing a lot of crime under my name. They thought I was this, you know, oh, he's ripping all kinds of people off on eBay. He'll he'll teach us how to do that. Well, yeah, yeah, I taught them how to do that, but at the same time, I was this idiot. But I got to be better as I kept going. Did
1: yeah. you ever get ripped off by anybody else on eBay?
0: Oh, Ken, I got ripped off by tons of people. Okay. You know, that's, that was one of the things I initially realized was that, you're going to be if it's legitimate sellers will, or who you think is a legitimate seller they'll rip you off I got used to that but what I really got used to were the the people who came in saying they had on counterfeit libraries, saying they had illegal items I would send the money for them sometimes and they wouldn't have them so I got used to that pretty quick I, that was a, a, a cost of doing business was that and what I did for for everyone, all the users that came on, because I knew, you know, some of these sellers that people are claiming to have things, they simply don't have them, or they'll have one or two of them, and they won't be able to supply any more. So what I started to do was, in order to, and I didn't, I, I guess that consciously I didn't realize it, but subconsciously I did. I understood that you had to be able to trust who you were dealing with. That if you couldn't establish trust on that website the website wasn't going to succeed and i for my own personal business i needed that website to succeed so what i started to do was hey if you buy from this person if that person rips you off i will guarantee you get your money back i pro- if nothing else i'll pay you out of pocket or i'll give you product out of pocket so i had enough of a network established over time of these other vendors that i could say okay if someone if a new seller comes on and he's selling bank accounts if he rips you off on that bank account I'll replace the bank account for you with a good bank account. So I would just contact another vendor and say, hey, can you help me out? Or with bank accounts, especially, I was the first seller of fraudulent bank accounts. So I would just give them a bank account. You know, if they got ripped off with credit cards when we turned over to credit cards, if they got ripped off on credit cards, I'd say, hey, you know, do you need a bank account? I'll just send you a bank account. I sell these bank accounts for 300 and You got ripped off on $100. Hey, how about that? And usually it was yes. Or something
1: like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right. So when when you when you sold the bank accounts uh, or gave them away, and yeah. the, in that case, what is the actual product? Now I realize it, it's an intangible. Sure. But what
0: what was the product that you were giving? Okay. So the way it worked, and this is as as I'm getting better and realizing that okay, I can't keep doing things under my name. I have to do them under other people's names. All right. The first database that i had access to and i I don't know if we spoke about this before but the first database i had access to online was the indiana state sex offenders registry ah yeah now back then that sex offenders registry it had the person's name the the predator's name it had their social security number their driver's license their date of birth their mother's maiden name their address everything that you needed all right
1: that sounds like one of the best bad ideas a state one government can come One of the best bad ideas with. ever. Oh,
0: and my thought was, so I'm sitting here looking at that database, and it was posted publicly online. I'm sitting here looking at all that personal information that's there, and I'm like, who's going to complain about these people being victimized? Everyone's going to think they deserve it, that's so right. why not use them? So the only online bank at that point was NetBank. That was the first online bank. So I start opening up net bank accounts using these sexual predators, their their personal information. All right, To open up the bank account, what you have to have is you have to have an address to get that debit card. So what I would do was, is I would order from Beelzebub or one of my other fake ID suppliers, I would order a driver's license in the name of one of these sexual predators using their real DL number, everything else. At the same time, I would uh, no i'm sorry let me backtrack i would order the driver's license i would then use that driver's license to go down to mailboxes etc open up a, a drop address in that sexual predator's name then i'd go online and then set up a net bank account in that pedophile's name all right so then they would send the debit card to me so i had to collect a stack of debit cards in in pedophiles names and what i would do is i would typically use those bank accounts so i could cash out myself If someone is ripped off uh, by one of my suppliers or somebody that i reviewed on Counterfeit Library, I would say, hey, I've got a bank account for you. Do you have a drop address? If they had a drop address, I would simply at that point open up a new bank account for them, and then they would receive the debit card. If they didn't have a drop address where they could do that, I would say, well, I need an address that I can send you the debit card and this person's information. And then at that point, I'd send one of my ready-made accounts out to them at that point. All right. But the bank account's extremely important because, again, you've got the necessities of cybercrime. Gathering data, committing crime, cashing out. Even today, what we're seeing is the bottleneck, the stranglehold on everything is cash in pocket. If you can't put cash in pocket, you're useless. So I was I was the first guy that was actually able to deliver on putting cash in pocket. Brett,
1: I, I, I'm curious about one thing. You, you said...
0: Well, I'm curious about a hell of a lot of stuff, you know? especially I about mean, your next door neighbor, right? Yeah, Tim? no kidding. I mean, we,
1: we talk about this stuff, but we never sit down and record it. Um, right. And and I don't know any details because generally, when we see each other,
0: we're both busy. We are. And, and, I mean, I'm traveling. You're doing. You're getting ready for your podcast that's coming out. Exactly. Soon. Exactly. You know, so we're always doing something. And you're you're like the neighborhood watch guy. That's got this friend next door. That's the most wanted guy. Yeah, the most wanted. Neighborhood
1: watch. Yeah, I got got a church on one side and 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 a criminal on the other. Okay, and I I say criminal. Okay, yeah, you're a criminal. You're a recovering criminal. Always recovering. All right, like the alcoholic. Always recovering. Always recovering. And as long as you're working toward recovering, you're cool. Right. Right.
0: You don't make as much money, but you don't go to jail. But I don't get to go to jail, and I get to keep the money I make. And you get to keep the money. And I'm respected now instead of, you know, (laughs) this guy that's (laughs) getting.
1: You went from notable, so you're now notable, and, um, oh, God, G. Gordon Liddy used to use this all the time. From notorious to notable? From notorious (laughs) to notable. Um, (laughs) Anyway, all right, right, let's get back on topic Let let me tell you this
0: before we get back. I was... uh, I was at a conference, what three days ago, and they introduced me, and the way they introduced me, and it got me so bad that, it, I mean, I was very thankful they said that, but they, you know, they gave the line of, you know, I was the most wanted guy at one point, had been a criminal and everything else, and they said that today, I'm considered one of the top cybersecurity experts in the world, and it got me so bad. I'm like, did they just say that?
1: <laughs> uh, that's quite a compliment. That's a big, I thought so. That's a, thought n- so. a nice person. I don't know if accolade. I deserve
0: it, but I was I was very thankful to hear that. <laughs> so, well,
1: now millions and millions of people are Well, know. so well, <laughs> so you okay,
0: here here's
1: the term G Gordon Liddy used to used to use. He said uh um well, I'm going to reverse it. All right. <laughs> so you went from uh infamous and notorious <laughs> <laughs> to famous and notable. Ah, uh, that's not bad. Uh, oh, that's, that's not bad. A, there we go. That's not bad. <laughs> All, right. All right, Brett, let's get back on topic here. Right. We, uh, how did you go from the bank account scams over
0: to credit card? Ah, well that was the thing. So, you know, we we by by the time we do that credit transition, Counterfeit Library is a trusted platform. All right. We basically went through all the trial and error that we had to that any legitimate company would do online to establish trust. And, and the way that trust was built was basically on my back was what it was. I was online. I was dedicated to that platform. I was I was on that site 14, 16 hours a day. The only time I took off was to set up bank accounts or to pick up draw, you know, checks from people I was ripping off on eBay, everything else. And by this point, I'm, I'm ripping people off on eBay using other names than mine. I'm skilled enough at that point that I'm good enough to, to avoid using my information. I'm using other people's information. I've got that barrier. I'm not, please don't know it's me anymore that's doing this stuff, right? So how did we transition? We're a trusted platform at this point. We've been around a couple of years People know that if you're going to engage in cybercrime, if you're looking to, to, to learn anything or to buy driver's licenses or bank accounts or anything else like that, that where you go is counterfeitlibrary.com. People know that. Well, little did I know that it's not just Americans that know that. And I, I guess I did know because we had, we had people from Pakistan, we had people from India, from the U.K., from all these other countries that was engaged. They, they were coming to our site to talk, to, to exchange information, to figure out how they could commit these scams in their own country. You know, we had sellers from all the, all, all over the, the world as well. We had people selling fake driver's licenses from the U.K., from Europe. We had uh, people in India that were engaged in cybercrime. From Pakistan, we had a Pakistani that would take computer tests for certifications in whatever name you wanted them to take it from, from A-plus all the way up through Cisco Certified Engineer. <laughs> he would take them to whatever name. And I had some of these certificates as well. So um, what got that transition? We didn't know it, but this kid, 19 years old, named Dmitry Golobov, he had been lurking on the Counterfeit Library website. And he really liked what, what he saw there. He was like, you know, these guys are really doing shit the way it needs to be done. So what this kid does, he picks up the phone He calls his, he's in the Ukraine, he calls his contacts, you know, hey guys, have you seen this website? Take a look at it, see what you think. So his buddies call their buddies. That results in this meeting, kind of a conference in Odessa, where (laughs) Dmitry and and 150 people, 150 Ukrainians, they meet and they're like, you know... Counterfeit library is good. What, what can we do on the Ukrainian side that does the same thing? Yeah, we don't do eBay fraud, but you know what? We've got a lot of personal data. we get a lot of credit card numbers. Can we do something similar? And they do. And that similar thing was called Carter Planet. Now, the difference between Carter Planet and Counterfeit Library, the people who were on Carter Planet literally knew each other. You didn't have to have a review system. You didn't have to worry about trust because they all knew each other. They knew what each other's skill level was. So you had that kind of closed system with Carter Planet where everyone knew exactly the skill level and everything else that was going on. The problem was is that when they set up Carter Planet, Dimitri had this idea. He was a spammer. He was getting all this credit card information, and he had this weird idea. He was like, you know, I wonder if people would buy stolen credit card details. That was his whole idea. Turns out they will. (laughs) Now, of course, he initially wanted to use that credit card information for himself to cash out. The problem was in the Eastern Bloc of Europe at that point, so much fraud had happened with credit cards that even if you were the legitimate card owner, if you visited Russia, the Ukraine, or anything else, you couldn't run your card there. Everything was shut down. Everything so and here's here's one of the big lessons on cybercrime that lesson is is that a lot of times cybercrime crosses geographic boundaries alright you'll see cybercriminals they will network with people in different countries than they live in the reason they do that one of the reasons is because of cashing out sometimes the information that you have cannot be used in the area you live in so you have to rely on someone else to cash it out for you right so Dimitri realized that pretty quickly and he even gave some interviews while this conference was going on before Carter Planet even starts. He gives some media interviews to some news people. You know, well, we're, well, we're going to start this up. So, yeah, 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 this is this kid. This kid who stole so much money, he used to tour the Russian countryside, and if he saw an estate, he would buy it. That's this kid, all right? So, Dmitry, because they can't put cash in pocket they have to they have to figure out who they're going to network with well guess what there's only one other group they can network with us so one day this user pops up on counterfeit library by the screen name of script and he says he makes he starts making these posts hey I've got credit card information tell you what you can do my credit card information you give me a drop address you give me a burner phone number Wait five business days. You can order whatever you want, and it will arrive. So we had never seen a post like that. We were eBay fraud. We were identity theft. We had never seen a post like that. So you can imagine what these members, and we're probably 2,000 members at this point. You can imagine what these 2,000 members who have been ripping people off on eBay think when they see that. Bullshit. That's law enforcement. They're just trying to arrest us now. And it went crazy. It went crazy because some of the members thought that, but also our paranoid freak in residence, the guy named David Thomas, who went by the screen name of El Mariachi, he always, he believed in the UFOs, all this other bulls, conspiracy theories out the wazoo, and he believed that law enforcement was all over the place. So when he saw Dimitri post that under the screen name of script, he's like, obviously law enforcement. No one's got that. It's got to be law enforcement. (laughs) It's like the... The phone cops. The phone cops. They're everywhere. That's right. So he, uh, <laughs> David starts really hammering script, and I let it go on because I was like, I was the only reviewer. If If script was going to sell anything, he had to go through me, and part of me really thought, he's a cop. No one has details like that. He's got to be a cop. I let it go on for probably a week, and I mean, it's wildfire. That's the only thing anybody's talking about is and my screen name was Gollum, they were, they were sending me messages. Are you going to let this guy stay on the site? Are you going to let him say this stuff? He's, he's law enforcement. So finally after a week, I have enough pressure on me. I'm like, okay, I'll review him. Get script on ICQ. And I'm like, hey, man, you've got to be reviewed before you can sell anything on Counterfeit Library. And he was like, what the hell are you talking about, Review because the Ukrainians they knew each other they didn't have to be reviewed they knew what their products and services were they knew whether they were legitimate or not we didn't so we had and we didn't know anybody we dealt with so you had to have a review system so i'm like look united states you got to be reviewed he's like what does what does that mean i was like look i'll review you if the product works i'll post a review on that on the site then believe you me you'll be if it really works you'll have all kinds of business and he was like you know what fuck it Okay. He's like, give me an address, give me a phone number. I I give him an address, give him a phone number, burner phone. I wait five five business days. Try to hit Dell.com for $5,000. The order fails. I'm like, okay. Get back on ICQ, and I'm like, hey, man, it didn't work. And he was like, give me one more chance. I was like, you know, i tell you what. I'll give you one more chance, but one more chance, and then it's your ass. I'm going to tell everybody you're a scammer and to avoid you. And he's like, just give me one more chance, man. I'm like, okay. So I give him another address, another phone number. Wait five business days. Hit Thompson's Computer Warehouse for $4,000. Hit Dell.com for $5,000. One credit card, $9,000 worth of charges. Have everything shipped overnight priority. Because I was an idiot. I didn't understand that overnight priority is a fraud indicator. Overnight priority. That order went through. The next day, I'm sitting there, UPS pulls up, drops off $9,000 worth of electronics, and I'm sitting there looking at it like, holy shit, (laughs) this went through. (laughs) So I go back to Counterfeit Library, and I'm sitting there writing the review, and I'm like, that's $9,000 in a day. Oh, my. So I post the review. We change within 48 hours, probably within 24 hours. Everyone drops eBay fraud, and everyone moves over to credit fraud because they see the profit potential. I've told them I've taken pictures of what I've stolen. You know, if you want to see them, contact me on ICQ. I can send you the pictures. So they they all contact me. By that point, I'm basically the god of counterfeit yeah. library. I run everything, so my word is testament gospel. So if I say it, it's real. Everybody reads the review and they're like, this is money. So we transition over to that. Little did we know, (laughs) and here's the thing, little did we know that by partnering with the Ukrainians, at that point, we signed our own arrest warrants to go to prison. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at Johnson at anglerfish.com. That's Brett, B-E-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, dot hcom Please tell your friends about us. Rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's Brett Johnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.